0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Hummus Tailgate Party. I'm your host, Thomas Jackson. We finally get to get into some of the good stuff this week, recapping the Week Zero clash of the Big Ten Titans between Illinois and Nebraska. And then we look ahead to Week 1, all the big matchups, previewing the games from Thursday to Monday. We've got games every single night, so it's a pretty loaded uh, opening, opening slate for everybody. We have our first ever guest on the show Garrett Bulldog he's going to be on with us later in the episode to talk about Georgia Clemson Garrett's a lifelong dogs fan so we'll see what he thinks about the Bulldogs upcoming season and mostly focus on their gigantic matchup this weekend and we'll close off with some segments for the first time so thanks for joining us and looking forward to a great week leading up to the first weekend of college football y'all All right, so first off, we've got a week zero recap. (laughs) Illinois 30, Nebraska 22. This was uh, just such a hilarious and fitting first game of the season. Um, it, It was a lot of fun just getting on Twitter Saturday morning. They had game day going and just seeing everybody getting so pumped for this abysmally bad matchup between these two bottom tier Big Ten teams, but it was all that was on, and it was the first thing that was on, so it was fun fun to get the whole college football crew kind of riled up for this matchup. Uh, it started off, Nebraska was a seven-point favorite, as we've discussed. Nebraska doesn't really have a lot going on for itself right now, but neither does Illinois. They're coming off of a coaching change in this past season, of course, dumping Lovie Smith for Brett Bielema, so... Even though Nebraska is very shaky, this was a game that they really should have won, and it'll be interesting to see if they continue to go down this spiral this season, because if so, it's hard to believe Scott Frost even makes it to the end of the year, uh, much less sticks around for another season, Lincoln. But this game started off with classic Big Ten fashion, a few punts, and then, of course, the, the play that set the college football world on fire, When Nebraska, their punt returner, caught the ball for whatever reason on like the two yard line, if that, and then ran back in the end zone, realized he was about to get tackled for a safety, and decided to just instead of take the safety, he threw the ball forward out of bounds, which was, of course, the illegal forward pass that led to the safety heard around the world. It was just the most perfect opening to a crappy big 10 game to open the college football season that you ever could have imagined. You literally can't make this stuff up. This is, <laughs> it was hilarious to see everybody reacting to that. Cause it was just, you know, it, it was perfect. After that, we kind of knew what type of a game we were getting ourselves into Illinois starting quarterback, who I think was a six year senior went down, looked like a collarbone. I never heard or saw a diagnosis on him, but he left the game in the first quarter. Uh enter their backup quarterback who shout out to KP and the guys at Banjo. Their college football podcast is really good. Y'all should check that out as well. But the Illinois backup QB was from Rutgers. The Banjo guys tweeted out that he had a career eight to 20 touchdown to intercept interception ratio. And when he was done with the Cornhuskers, that touchdown to interception ratio went from eight to 20 to 10 to 20. So he, uh, he didn't do a whole lot. Illinois just mostly ran the ball, and they totally dominated the line of scrimmage the whole game. They were pretty much running at will. But the, uh, the backup QB tossed a couple of touchdowns. Of course, Nebraska had... They really lost the game more than anything. They just kept getting in their own way. They just had penalty after penalty. The whole game changed when the Illinois quarterback threw an interception, and it looks like Nebraska was up nine to two at the time. It looks like they, you know, if they had that ball, he would have been. They would have been already starting in Illinois territory, and the game could have gotten kind of out of hand from there. But a roughing the passer and unsportsmanlike penalty call overturned that interception, gave Illinois thirty yards, and of course the automatic first down, to which they went down the field and scored. And ever. After that, Illinois just went on a run. Nebraska tried to rally back a little bit at the end, but too little too late. Their quarterback Martinez, he was just having a really brutal time. He fumbled the ball that got returned for a touchdown and he was just missing wide open guys left and right. He had a couple really good long scramble runs to try to keep Nebraska in the game, but it was just uh it was not enough and you know, it, it couldn't have gone any worse for Scott Frost in his first game of the season. Il- Nebraska just looked incredibly undisciplined. That's a direct lead- re- reflection of the leadership there in Lincoln. If it weren't for all of those penalties that they'd got time after time, they probably would have won this ball game, even with the stupid turnovers and miss PATs and whatnot. So... It was a disaster for them. We'll get more into the Scott Frost hot seat discussion later on. We've got a segment focusing on the coaches every week that are uh, most likely to get canned at some point this season or at the end. So Scott Frost is shockingly moved to the top of that list very quickly. And don't want to focus on Nebraska. Illinois deserves a lot of credit. They came out. They played a good game, even with their starting quarterback probably out for the season. Don't want to speculate, but it looks like a collarbone. So that's a really brutal blow, but they were able to run the ball. They played pretty sound football and Brett Bielema starts 1-0 back in the Big Ten. So it'll be interesting to see how Illinois fares for the rest of the year. After that, UCLA pounded Hawaii 44-10. to uh, By the time I even turned the channel over from the Big Ten game over to UCLA, I think they were already up by th- three or four touchdowns, so I didn't really pay too much attention to that. It sounded like they were running the ball really well, but hard to tell if they were just that that much bigger and more physical than Hawaii. Then it was uh, not a great game, and we didn't really have any any games at night last night of you know power five teams. So tuned out after the Nebraska game for the most part, but it was nice to have just a couple games to get our feet wet and get ready for the big week next week. So what we're going to do for the week one preview and all the previews going forward, I'm going to look at all of the notable games in chronological order. So we'll start on Thursday night, work our way all the way to the weekend finale on Monday. And then after that, we'll go into some segments talk about some games that I'm looking forward to watching talk about some games that might not be the headliners for the weekend but are still going to be really quality matchups we'll t- talk about our continuously updated coaching hot seat list and end off with a little recipe for the people something to cook on game day and the uh the interview with Garrett Bulldog will be In the middle of that, too, once we get to the Georgia-Clemson game. So, starting off on Thursday, we've got Boise State traveling to Central Florida. I didn't realize this, but their stadium is actually called the Bounce House, which is about the most UCF thing I've ever heard. Uh, Of course, this is Gus Malzahn's first game there at UCF. They're a six-point favorite. Last time I checked over the Broncos... Um, I'm going to be announcing all of the times for these games in Central because I know that's where most of my listeners are right now. So if I get them confused with, not if, but when I get Central confused with Mountain Time at various points throughout the season, that's probably what's happening. So I'm going to try to stick with Central just because that's a nice local spot for everybody. Um, So the Boise State UCF game is at 6 Central. It should be a pretty entertaining one. Both of those teams, despite having new coaches, should be pretty good. I know UCF should have a pretty explosive offense with their quarterback, and since he's experienced, it'll be interesting to see how he works in Gus's, Gus's system. So generally guys that have transferred into his system and come in with some experience and development prior to being plugged into that weird offense have played a lot better than those who have been brought up in it their entire career. So I think UCF should be pretty good. Boise State should be pretty good. They're the favorites to win the Mountain West. Um, So that should be a fun game to watch starting at six central. And then at seven is Ohio State at Minnesota. Ohio State's about a two touchdown favorite there. Minnesota's offense should be pretty good. And their defense last year was their really weakness They have eight incoming transfers on defense, so that'll help. It's just a question of, you know, will they mesh instantly enough to slow down the weapons that Ohio State has, especially a receiver. We've talked about Ohio State's quarterback, C.J. Stroud, making his first start. So, should be lots of new faces in this game. Uh, Kind of the young quarterback against uh, experience, but new defense. So, I think this probably pretty high scoring game should be entertaining if Minnesota can stick around and throw some points up on the board so I don't know if it'll be particularly close for the whole four quarters but they might make it interesting for a little bit but Ohio State you know should be able to pull away when decently easy with all of their talent moving on to Friday night uh, pretty pretty interesting matchup UNC travels to Virginia Tech uh, this game's got a pretty smelly line. It's five and a half points. UNC the favorite, of course, which seems very low. We're gonna be talking a lot about Virginia Tech's coach Justin Fuente on the hot seat list throughout the season. They've got a really tough schedule and things could easily go downhill quickly in Blacksburg. But I don't know, with the line only being so with the line being so small, less than a touchdown. For the number ten UNC, who we've talked about, they have tons of high hopes in the S- ACC and beyond. It just seems like just a classic trap game. Traveling to VT's always been a tough place to play, especially on a Friday night. You know, first game of the season, top ten opponent coming into town, first game with the full stadium in two years. So it sounds like it could be a tricky spot for v- uh, UNC and Virginia Tech might actually give them a way better game than they really should on paper. So that'll be interesting to see if Virginia Tech can, can give them a challenge, and if so, that stadium's going to be absolutely rocking. So that'll be a good one on Friday evening. Saturday, obviously the biggest slate of games. Uh, really good matchup in the Big Ten. <laughs> uh, morning game again with Wisconsin hosting Penn State. Wisconsin is a four-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. I really like Wisconsin this year, and Penn State is just a really strange team. Uh, they kind of remind me a lot of like LSU, who's using COVID as an excuse for how bad everything went last season. And that could be true to some degree, but it's just going to be interesting to see how Penn State comes out with two of the first three weeks. They have to play Wisconsin and Auburn in week three, so they've got a tough a couple pretty tough matchups and it's going to be interesting to see if their COVID excuse was valid or not. So they'll be a good team to keep keep your eye on September. They had a fluky bad start last year with, they did have some COVID issues, but also a lot of injuries that led to them starting off the year 0-5. Their quarterback, Sean Clifford, everyone's kind of got a different opinion on him Uh, But he should take a step forward. He's been pretty up and down his whole career at Penn State. So they've got pretty solid dudes everywhere else on offense. So I think if, you know, Clifford, the team will probably go as far as he takes them. Uh, If he plays, you know, anything above decently well, then Penn State could very well be a, a challenging team in the Big Ten this year. But if he doesn't play too well... Their defense isn't looking too great, especially the front seven. They might be able to get pushed around a lot, especially going against Wisconsin, who obviously they always have just giant offensive line, great running backs. Wisconsin is super balanced on both sides of the ball. So I think Wisconsin's going to be able to run the ball on Penn State. And, uh, I don't know, Wisconsin just seems a lot more stable of a situation. I like their depth and just balance on offense and defense, as opposed to Penn State, that it's kind of okay here and there, but you've got question marks in some other positions. So, I like Wisconsin to win this game. Uh, We'll be talking about them as far as betting goes later in the show, but it should be a pretty good matchup there in Camp Randall to start off the morning for everybody, Uh, In the afternoon, one of the bigger games of the weekend, Bama and Miami play in Atlanta in the part one of the Chick-fil-A opening uh, kickoff series. I think this will be a pretty high-scoring game. Uh, All indications point to Derek King being healthy, and if that turns out to be the case, then Miami's offense is definitely going to get theirs. Uh, Bama's always had trouble with quarterbacks like him, so if he's 100% or close enough to it, then he'll definitely give the much improved Bama defense some problems. Uh, Bama's obviously replacing a ton on offense, but everyone that's stepping in is super talented and has gotten a good bit of reps and garbage time in the past season or two. So even with Bryce Young making his first start, I expect the Bama offense to be looking really good, especially against that Miami defense. Just it's never been good, as good as it should be. So I think, uh, I think it'll be a pretty fun high-scoring matchup with Bama-Miami. I could see Miami hanging around for quite a while, but at the end of the day, I think Bama's defense, being able to make a few more stops than Miami's defense, will be the deciding factor in this one. So I like Bama probably by a couple scores once they pull away at the end, but I think it'll be a pretty good and entertaining game for the most part. Next up that afternoon... We've got another weird matchup with a weird spread. Texas is hosting Louisiana, the Ragin' Cajuns, in Austin. And Texas is only a nine-point favorite on that one, which is usually not what you would see with school with the brand and tradition of Texas hosting a little group of five team. But this Louisiana team made a lot of noise last year. Of course, they upset Iowa State in week one of the 2020 season. Everybody thought it was a really embarrassing start for Iowa State. Turns out Louisiana was just really, really good. so they uh, kind of the cyclones realized it wasn't too bad of a loss as Louisiana kept winning as the season went on. Um, you know it's a it's a tough tough start for Stark, especially when this type of team was probably scheduled five or ten years ago and thought to be a cupcake and that's certainly not the not the case. Texas is going to have to play really, really well. To beat this Louisiana team. So I think that the fact that Louisiana was so good and pulled off the Iowa State upside, upset last year actually helps Texas because this team should not be sneaking up on anybody this year like they were able to last year. So yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if Sark can win this game comfortably and get their season off on a on a good start, even if it's a close game, I don't think it's a, really a bad look for Texas, but they definitely need to win this one. It, it, there's no reason with the talent disparity that Texas should be dropping this, but it could very well be an entertaining game, and that's one that, if you just looked at it not knowing much about last season, you probably wouldn't think that that should be a close close matchup, but the Raging Cajuns might, might very well give Texas a good run for their money. Next up, we've got the Game of the Weekend possibly the game of the regular season, depending on how a couple other matchups shake out down the line. Georgia and Clemson are playing in Charlotte in the Panther Stadium. This one kicks off at 630 Central Time. Clemson's about a three and a half point favorite right now over the Dogs. And speaking of Dogs, we've got Garrett Bulldog coming on the show, our first ever guest. So thanks for Garrett. Here we are talking about the matchup in Georgia season. All right. Well, let's get into it. Um, So Georgia is ranked. I got number five right here playing number three Clemson on Saturday in primetime. Biggest season opener since probably the Bama FSU game in 2017. I was at that one. I think we were number one and they were number three. The game didn't quite live up to the hype because we were kind of pulling ahead and then their quarterback ended up getting injured in the second half and they kind of spiraled down from there but this Georgia Clemson game as long as there's no freak injuries like that it should be everything it's kind of built out to be so for those of you don't know who Garrett is he's uh been one of my good friends for a long time he's been a Bulldogs fan his whole life so Garrett why don't you go ahead and We'll get into more of the nitty gritty on the actual game coming up here in a little bit. But when it comes to just kind of the Kirby era, this upcoming season, all the weird quarterback stuff, you know, kind of through last season leading up to where you are now, what are your expectations for Georgia? What do you think would be like, what would be like a successful season? And at what point would you consider it a failure, I guess is right what I'm getting at here.
1: Yeah. So everyone Um, last name's bulldog. That's, that's a (laughs) big part of a big part of the, the fanship. No, I'm kidding. Very
0: coincidental. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very coincidental. But I I think when you talk about um, specifically right now, I feel like the expectations for the team are national championship or bust. I feel like that's almost been the headline for the past now going almost four or five years. Um, And I think the Kirby era to me, I definitely, I feel like people look at statistics and they compare him to Mark Richt, especially in his first five seasons, um, and they'd be like, oh, like Kirby hasn't necessarily pushed too far above the mark. But to me, I feel like there is a culture change that has come with Kirby, and I think The even beyond kind of, say, the the overall record comparisons and statistic comparisons, I feel like his recruiting classes, the culture, the team, and the expectations, to me, the expectations have just grown immensely. And that's where you get to kind of that national championship or bust mentality that we've had for the past few years. And this year, that's really driven by, I think, the – final we, we finally gotten to a point where Georgia, quote unquote, has a has a quarterback. And so there's a lot of hype around JT Daniels and the offense and Todd Munkin coming out of 2020. I think in 2020 without having a spring with COVID, I feel like that reduced some of the expectations and people look at it as, look at it as almost kind of like a null year. And so I feel like there's this expectation that now, finally, this is when the offense finally starts to perform. And of course, people look to Alabama of last year, They look to LSU of 2019, and that's what they want. And to me, this season, I think um, in terms of my expectations, I think Georgia is ranked accurately right now. To me, they're a top five team, but they are the fifth best team. I think um, we'll talk about uh, more about the Clemson matchup, but I think the offense is inexperienced. And I think that's going to show at the beginning of the season, specifically with the wide receiver position and the offensive line. And to me, those are those are my concerns, but those are also areas where I feel like the recruiting and the youth can grow. And so towards the end of the season, I honestly believe Georgia should be in the playoff picture and should be finishing as a top three team. Um, and so to me, it would be disappointing if they don't make a, make the playoff considering their schedule following the Clemson game. I feel like their schedule stacks up really nicely to and just softly, After that game, this, this season opener is their toughest test by far. I think when you look at matchups against really their next toughest, toughest matchups to me could be a Kentucky team that might have a pretty strong record when they meet in October. And then of course, you always look at the Georgia, Florida matchup in Jacksonville at the end of October. And to me, a lot of, there's a lot of hype around Emory Jones, but I don't believe he's there quite yet. And he's just untested. And to me, Georgia should still get past Florida. And if my, my expectation is, is it would be an 11 and one finish and would be a um, kind of a, I think the expectation at that point, depending on the rest of the league would be that they need to win the SEC championship. And I think there's, there's, of course, um, to me, I think my kind of closing thoughts or closing concerns about the team that could lead to um, a potential shortcoming is this, uh, this injury um, kind of concern, especially, say, with the wide receiver room, having um, this opening matchup in week one, not having Darnell Washington at the tight end position, and just having George Pickens be out. And to me, I have no expectations for Reed Gilbert to return um, from what little I've listened to there's almost as, as much expectation for George Pickens to be playing this season, and that wouldn't even be until late November. So I'd be surprised if Eric Gilbert suited up. Um, and so if, if Georgia can finish the season 11-1 um, and, and George Pickens would is, is say we get to national championship expectations, he returns healthy. Um, to me, the growth from the O-line room with all the young talent they have um, between freshman Amarius Mims, Roderick Jones, and a few other young guys, I feel like the O-line could be massively improved and the wide receiver room as well. To me, there's a lot of young talent there, um, specifically Arian Smith, um, as well as there's a lot of hype around freshman Adonai Mitchell, um, who is kind of an underrated recruit per se. So I'm, um, it sounds like he could be starting on, um, starting even this week versus Clemson. And so I'm curious to see how um, how the team shapes up towards the end of the year. And I think opening up against Clemson will kind of set a bar for where they need to be, where they need to improve. And that's why I have them finishing really strong.
0: Yeah, and I was, I've got that down about the kind of wide receiver issues that have been popping up. I know Pickens, he went down back in the spring, which is why – I'm sure George is hoping to get him possibly late in the year and ACLs are just so weird. You can never really tell, but optimistically it could happen if it was all the way back in spring camp. And then uh, the, the tight end, what was his name? Darnell Washington, Washington. Yeah. Yeah. He, he looks like he's out until like week four is what I saw late mid to late September. So Mm -hmm. definitely for the Clemson game. And then Gilbert, the transfer from LSU. So this was, like a personal leave of absence is that correct it wasn't an injury more of a like mental health yeah
1: thing and that he
0: withdrew himself with
1: to me it's what's been strange that I don't like and and to me I think they're respectively if it's a mental health thing I understand that they wouldn't be touching on that and they Kirby Smart in his most recent pref- press conference he he kind of said and to me this could just be kind of coach phrasing but he said we hope he returns to good health and it's like I don't think he's physically injured. It could be a mental health thing, but I think um, the lack of communication about it, the lack of kind of updates and there being really no insider information on, like to me, if I was at these press conferences, he be even practicing um, come the end of the season and there's just been kind of no updates so that's where to me my mr are very low for this season I mean he's still he's still a sophomore so potentially he could come back next year but I, I find it I found it really strange because he was there for summer workouts and then basically coming into fall camp nothing
0: yeah well Maybe he'll come back. Maybe you won't. I just, I wasn't able to find much on that. I didn't try to dig too deep into it, but the couple articles that I did read on it just seemed like there was a lot of gray area. So I guess TBD on that. But right. um, so you, are, you kind of already answered my question. I was just going to ask how you felt about that. So that might be a, a challenge early in the season. But again, with Georgia having such good recruiting classes over the past, ever since Kirby's gotten there, you know, even though... I know Pickens is the, the biggest loss and Gilbert was probably expected to carry a good bit of the load, especially with Pickens out himself, but you've still got to have studs, even if they're young and unexperienced, like you're saying, by the end of the season, if they can, you know, whatever happens in the Clemson game, the rest of the, the schedule I checked and y'all's crossover SEC West team is Arkansas obviously outside of clemson the non-conference should be all wins with georgia tech not being any good and you know this is a pretty good year to be traveling to auburn i feel like especially now that y'all play them so early in the season if they do kind of get it rolling it's probably when Alabama's going to see them later in november right. and stuff so i don't really see georgia having too many problems you never know with that game it can be you know rivalries can be closer oh, yeah. than they should be sometimes but i mean that's for the SEC and how good it is this year, you're avoiding Alabama, you avoid A&M, you avoid LSU, not that you would usually play those in the normal season, but still just to not get any of those as crossover teams is definitely advent- advantageous to the dogs. So I guess now looking more at the uh, at the matchup this Saturday, you already touched on the the wide receiver concerns, but I mean... Clemson's got DJ Ugulele starting off the season, his first Um, couple starts came last year when Trevor went down with COVID, but now he totally has the reins to himself. They are expecting Justin Ross back. Everything that I've heard says that he'll be returning after he missed last year with the spinal fusion diagnosis and their defense, which wasn't very great last year. We saw it get super exploited in the Ohio state game. They're returning. 10 starters and all four linemen. So I think we'll see that pretty nasty Clemson defensive line that we've gotten so accustomed to over the years. So even though Trevor's gone and ETN, it's going to look a little different on the offensive front, but I think Clemson might be kind of returning to their defensive powerhouse. that kind of was the rock of their team in the rising of the Clemson program for so many years. So I guess on both sides of the ball, how do you see the dogs? stacking up against them? And is there a side where you feel better than the other?
1: Right. Um, I, I think the defenses are very comparable in some sense. Uh, to me, Clemson has more experience across the board than almost any team in the country. And so I sp- expect their defense to be really sound, uh, very few mistakes. I expect them to be like you said, um, kind of the backbone of the team and, and and their identity that they've had over the the past few years and at their peak. And I think that's something where the matchup between Georgia's offense and Clemson's defense concerns me, um, like you said, specifically, as we talked about the wide receiver room, I'd, I'd look pretty early in the game to see if um, Georgia's having any alignment issues. Are they getting lined up correctly? Are they... is I know JT Daniels. He he talks about kind of being the commander and distributor of the offense. And is he going to be able to kind of not only find open targets, but are they going to be able to um, make the most of those plays? I feel like um, at the wide receiver positions, I'm concerned there, but possibly uh, a strength or what I'm what I'm looking for uh, from from Todd Mucken would be to get the running backs. Um, in the in the receiving game and get them out wide, spread out a little bit more because I feel like running up the middle with our experienced offensive line, it's it's going to be a challenge. And I know that's something that Georgia Georgia has liked to do in the past, but I'm really hoping we kind of uh, spread out specifically um, our running a little bit more because to me that's that's probably where. Uh, from the offensive standpoint when you compare um, maybe Clemson's offense and Georgia's offense um, I'd give the strength to uh, Georgia as the running back room to me they have probably the deepest running back room in the nation just in terms of four and five deep that I feel like could go out and be um, starting running backs uh, across across the league and um, so I'd, I'd look for you know can they get two running back sets that could possibly confuse confuse or take advantage of uh, some of the linebackers. I know um, Clemson strength is um, kind of their linebacking core as well as that defensive line. But if they can kind of get outside of the lines um, and try and get the ball more outside, that's something that I feel like Georgia should look to do to kind of wear down or possibly take advantage of that rock solid defense. Um
0: Quick little, that. quick little side note. A question on that: I've been hearing a lot about kind of Georgia's general offensive philosophy tends to be a lot more conservative than right. some of the other teams you see at the top of the rankings, which has obviously caused them challenges in bigger games in the past few years. I feel like dogs fans are probably pretty frustrated and fed up with that by now. And like you just said a few minutes ago everyone would like to see the kind of LSU 2019, Alabama 2020, uh, you know, style of offense be adapted more so in Athens. Cause we all know that the athletes are there wide receivers, you know, they've still got, I'm sure a bunch of four stars that'll be filling in as backup. So it could be right. a lot worse. The running backs are great. Now you have a quarterback that probably for the first time in two or three years, you feel really, really good about going into the season since it's been kind of a, shaky situation there in the past um, with 2020 and froms last year and everything but do you see the offensive philosophy getting changed up a little bit or do you expect georgia to kind of stick to the more traditional kind of ground and pound conservative passing game thing that might have been their shortcoming you know in some big games in recent memory
1: right i feel like the if you see because There's definitely that, Um, to me, the concern with fully spreading it out. um, And I think Todd Munkin, to me, he's a coordinator where he, I think he said last year, he opened up like 25% of his playbook. And maybe all all coordinators could kind of say that. But he, to me, should be doing that. I feel like it may be more conservative this game where – where the wide receivers may not have that full plethora of skills to be able or a full plethora of experience, I'll say, to be able to change plays up as quickly at the line and get in position without mistakes. Um, To me, if they can execute drives without false starts, without um, delay of games and are pushing the ball down the field, that would be be Georgia at its best. And so I would like to see the offense – even if it's um, not going as deep and going four verticals, even if it's just kind of doing a, a little bit more bubble screens, trying to get the um, running backs outside and pushing the um, speed of the game. To me, that's what um, what the offense should be doing and should look to do. Um, because I I'm a little concerned about conservative play opening week with some of the youth that we have. Um, and if that's the case, I feel like George is in for a rude awakening and we'll need to swiftly change that philosophy if they want to be competing in the playoff against, say, a team like Oklahoma, which I feel like is going to have a super high powered offense and honestly, mm-hmm. a well-rounded defense.
0: Yeah, and like you said, getting the running backs involved in the passing game a little bit more. That's something you saw a lot in Alabama's offense last year and LSU right. of 2019 with Clyde Edwards Alaire. So it'll be kind of interesting just with <laughs> the the youth on one hand, but you know, the the quarterback you feel better about on the other hand. So um it'll be interesting to see what the what the style of the offense is looking like in week one and then what changes it might make going forward when the schedule gets a lot more favorable for Georgia but moving on to the defense for the dogs looks like they kind of match up with Clemson with the super super talented defensive line and defensive front in general um I mean I don't know about it looks like on my notes I've I've got the backfield might not be as strong as the front seven for the dogs so is that a matter of experience or just talent in general or what what do you think what are your strengths and concerns for the dogs D
1: Yeah they've lost a lot specifically across the DB room on the back end like you're saying um I think we had Four or five guys drafted last season um, across the back end that I feel like were really strengths of that defense. And so, there's a few guys, um, Amir Speed, Latavius Brini, um, that I feel they're they're four year and fifth year guys that haven't really pushed the starter position. So I'm curious to see if those years of years of practice. Can they kind of pay off and can they be ready to perform? Cause I feel like they're going to be guys that are called upon early Amir speed. He's a six foot three corner. And when you look at the matchups against Clemson's wide receivers, which across the board are are kind of six, three and above, they have some big wide receivers. I feel like that, the size of our DBs could be a strength, but I'm concerned about their lack of experience. Um, I know another transfer that we had that was highly, um, highly touted was Tykee Smith. Um, He was, he was somebody who I was looking at um, playing the star position that I feel like would really be able to help shut down kind of Clemson's run game, as well as just give some experience um, across that DB room. And so I'm curious if I think Latavius Barini will be filling that position this week. And I want to see, he stepped up in the Cincinnati game at the end of the season, but I want to see if he can really do it against uh, the big boys of Clemson and that's definitely a concern. I feel like the front seven is going to help strengthen um, a lot of the team. I feel like when you look at I, – I would be very confident in Georgia's run defense, especially up the middle. If Clemson is able to get their running backs outside and almost apply the philosophy I was talking about that Georgia should be doing, I feel like that's where – it's going to be call those corners and DBs are going to be called upon to get off their blocks, make open field tackles. And um, if they can do that, then I, I feel like Georgia, Georgia has a good chance to slow down Clemson, but they really need to attack and be physical on the front lines. Cause I think um, their, their weakness is the deep ball. Their weakness is is deep threats. And I know DJ has, a big arm he's uh extremely talented and even though he's a little bit more experienced i, I think he's gonna play really well i statistically i'd look if georgia can hold Clemps hold dj to um under under 300 under 250 yards passing I'd feel pretty good about the offense cuz I feel like they can keep the keep the run game down but if they're struggling to protect the pass then I feel like that's going to open up the run a little bit for Clemson even um but I, I'd look for, to me, some key members of the defense would be, um, of course, Jordan Davis in the center. I feel like we got the interior line. I'm really excited about Jordan Davis, um, as well as I think it's Julian Rochester who's returning. And also, um, I'm trying to think of the one of the freshmen. But on the on the exterior ends of the line, it's Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson who – I, I think a lot of players, of course, are confident, but Adam Anderson in his press conference, he was like, yeah, I'd like to push for 20 sacks this season. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like get out of here. Probably sounds but... good
0: to you. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But no, we'll, we'll see how, we'll see how they stack up, but they need to get pressure on DJ early and um, hopefully the D line can help ease, ease the um, DBs up a little bit by shortening the amount of time he has in the pocket.
0: Yeah. Well, it's going to be a great matchup on both sides of the ball. Do you have a a final score prediction for us?
1: Yeah, I'd say I think because of um, the injuries of Darnell Washington, who's an extremely talented tight end, Tykee Smith, I feel like the inexperience concerns me for Georgia. Georgia. And I'd give um, Clemson the edge and – I'd say, yeah, I'd give them a 31-28 uh, win over the Dogs uh, this week. Um, of course, hoping hoping it's a little bit different, but I'll be, to me, the the part that you look for in a season opener is which team really seems to have grown the most throughout the spring and fall camp. And I feel like it's really hard to compare these two because I feel like from the coaching perspectives, both of these teams, yeah, they're going to make mistakes at the beginning, but they're going to be, equally prepared for this game and so I feel like because of the because of the weaknesses um and inexperience that the dogs have in those positions I got Clemson on top.
0: Well, with uh Georgia's schedule after Clemson, I think everybody is expecting the dogs to get 11 wins minimum. So, even with the loss in this first game, you know, it's it's better to lose early in the season than it is late. So, yep. It's not like losing this game. I mean, you don't want to get absolutely, absolutely floored like we've seen Clemson do my team in the past. But, you know, if they if, if it's a close loss like you're predicting, then that's really not a bad, bad sign with Georgia with all the injuries and inexperience and in a couple of the positions and. If they come on strong down the stretch and get themselves an SEC championship, then, you know, they'll be they'll be back in the playoffs without a doubt if they go 12 and one. So it'll be tough, you know, at the end of the year, whoever they get out of the West, whether it's Bama or AM or someone more surprising like LSU, that's always an absolute bloodbath in Atlanta, but yeah even if the dogs don't get the w this saturday then it really shouldn't be time to panic unless it, it's just an absolute disaster but i think it should be a great game i keep kind of going back and forth on who i think is going to win this one so i can't quite make up my mind yet but uh <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm thrilled for it it's, it's exciting we get such a you know playoff quality game in in week one so i appreciate you coming on you're the first ever guest on hummus tailgate party and uh You know, if you ever want to come back, maybe talk about the greatest cocktail party on earth or anything big leading up that goes later in the dog season, you're always welcome back on. So I appreciate you helping us out with the preview and all the details on the dogs this week. Dude,
1: thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate coming on. Um, shout out the homeest tailgate, tailgate party. <laughs> yeah. I'll definitely uh, be sure to share. And yeah, dude, uh, I'm excited for the for the rest of the season. And yeah, if we get a if we get a good SEC matchup, maybe we'll have to uh, duke it out. If it's Alabama versus Georgia, like like a lot of uh, people are predicting. So I'd love to come back. Um, yeah, dude. Thank yeah, you. we
0: can do a little SEC championship preview. That's more shit talking than analysis. If it <laughs> if it winds up, winds up being our two teams, but we'll we'll cross that bridge when we when it comes. Twelve games to play first. But yes, thanks for coming on, man, and hope the the rest of the move goes smoothly. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. So thanks again to Garrett for coming on. We appreciate you as the first ever guest here on Hummus Tailgate Party. So that was uh nice to have a buddy to talk with. Uh, looking ahead to UCLA and LSU Saturday night. This one kicks off at 7.30 Central Time, so might be able to watch the fourth quarter of this after the Georgia-Clemson game is over. Uh, LSU started off as a 4.5-point favorite, but that's moved down about a point to 3.5 in the past day since UCLA walloped Hawaii 44-10 to 10, like we discussed earlier. Um, this is just <laughs> another weird matchup with a weird spread that I don't know what to do with, but apparently it, Vegas thinks it's going to be a closer game than you would probably assume LSU and UCLA are going to be. So this is an interesting dynamic here with LSU starting off the season with a team that's already played. It'll be fun to see who has the upper hand here because UCLA has already got the experience of playing a full speed game against another team wearing different colors. However, LSU has a full game of tape on UCLA, which UCLA does not have on LSU. Of course, with the new two new coordinators in Baton Rouge, this team could look, LSU fans are hoping, it looks a lot different than last year's. So while LSU has better prep material, UCLA will have the actual in-game re- experience that you really can't replicate in practice. So kind of an in- interesting dynamic to keep in mind here as you're watching this game. Um, I saw UCLA on Twitter was saying that I believe any high schooler in Los Angeles, I don't know if they made more specific criteria than that, could have a free ticket to this game. So they're probably expecting a lot of purple and gold and not a lot of UCLA faithful in the Rose Bowl. LSU always travels well. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of purple in the stadium and UCLA apparently is pretty desperate to pack it in with... Them literally giving away free tickets to anyone who's just a high schooler in the area. So that's a pretty sweet deal for them, but I don't know if it'll end up helping out too much if they have to resort to something like that. So, with that being said, LSU, this is a huge season for them. It's a huge season for UCLA. Both coaches have had a rough year last year and years in the past in Chip Kelly's situation. So, these teams really need to both get off on a good start. I think especially LSU, you know, if UCLA dropped this game, it's really not the end of the world, but that'd be a pretty bad look for LSU and a bad sign of things to possibly come this year. Although UCLA's, I mean, they're going to be a good team. It's it's not like it would be a terrible loss or anything, but I think, I think LSU's definitely expecting to win this one. They probably should win this one. But it might end up being a better matchup than you would assume that LSU and UCLA would be most years. So uh, we might run a poll on this game because it's one of the more interesting ones on the matchup. See who you like in the spread. See if you think either team has the advantage from the prep versus experience thing we were talking about. So keep an eye on the Instagram for that later this week. Moving on to Sunday, we've got only one game on Sunday and Monday. Both are at night, prime time. Sunday night kicks off at 6.30 with Notre Dame traveling to Tallahassee to take on the Seminoles. Um, (laughs) Both of these teams, not, not too hot on them for the season. Florida State's obviously been super up and down for the past few years, going through different coaches, their current coach is Mike Norvell. They've got Mackenzie Milton starting at quarterback who transferred from UCF. He hasn't played a game since 2018 when he was a Heisman contender on a couple of those really good UCF teams and he hurt his leg really bad. It's been a long road back to back to the field for him. So, I wish him good health and everything this season and he was really damn good at UCF, so hopefully he can retor- return to similar form. Uh, thankfully for him, they have a good offensive line there in Tallahassee, but not many weapons at running back or receiver. So the offense should be okay overall, but it's going to have to be better, okay, better than okay if they want to win a few games this year. Because their defense is what's really concerning there at Florida State. They do not have much going for them on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, on the bright side, at this point, the roster is finally pretty much ridden of players that initially went to Florida State to play for Jimbo or Willie Taggart. They just had a lot of purging to do. You know, there were guys on the team last year that had probably been under three head coaches. So you get some chemistry issues when you get guys from all different regimes in the locker room. So at this point, it's Mike Norvell's team. COVID made it super easy for anyone who wanted to get out to get out and, you know, anybody who wanted to get in to get in. So... I'm uh, excited to see how Milton does. Hopefully he has good health and a good season because you know, Florida State's been so down and out the past few years. It'd be fun to have them back, at least at a respectable level. They play Notre Dame preseason number nine. I think they're grossly overranked just because of their name and brand. Classic. They lost a ton of players from last year. Of course, they made it to the Rose Bowl where they got spanked pretty good by Alabama. They weren't very competitive in that, but they did have a really good regular season playing in the ACC temporarily because of COVID. They only have two returning starters on offense and only six coming back on defense. You remember from an episode or two ago, we discussed how because of the COVID rules with the super seniors and transferring, a lot of teams have a lot of guys coming back just across the board. This might be the most experienced and deep Rosters we've ever seen in college football, so everybody generally has a lot of guys coming back. So Notre Dame is one of the few teams where you really can't say that. They only have eight starters returning, and only two of those are on offense. They have Jack Cohn, they're the QB coming from Wisconsin to replace Ian Book. Uh, They have a pretty solid offensive line, good talent at tight ends and uh, running backs. Iffy wide receivers that I don't know how they'll hold up against good competition. But, you know, even though they have solid talent because they're Notre Dame, it's just a very unexperienced offense. Their defense should be pretty good, but they're replacing five starters and their defensive coordinator. Clark Lee went to Vandy, and Marcus Freeman is coming in from Cincinnati. Sounds like he's a really good hire. A lot of people think he'll be a head coach in just a matter of a couple seasons. So, the defense will probably be the the better of the two units on Notre Dame. Not expecting too much from them. They have a really brutal schedule in the middle of the season, so they need to get this dub in Tallahassee, uh, and you know, hopefully they get it easily easily because this Florida State team, you know, if they if they give Notre Dame problems, then it's going to be a long year for the Irish. Real quick, their mid mid season schedule week four they're at wisconsin week five they have cincinnati at home week six at vt then they're off then they play usc and unc back to back so notre dame really needs to rack up the wins i guess the first three weeks until they go to camp randall probably like wisconsin in that game just early on but um yeah that'll be an interesting matchup with jack Cohn returning to wisconsin so Notre Dame overranked, not surprising, uh, you know, with how hard their schedule is and how much they lost, I could see them, you know, probably getting to eight, maybe nine wins if things go really well this season, but I don't think the Irish are serious playoff contenders this year. Um, lastly, on Monday night, we've got Ole Miss and Louisville rounding off the weekend in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl opener, part two, whatever you want to call it. So Bam and Miami are also playing in uh, in Atlanta, so this this game will be a couple days later there in the Falcon Stadium. Ole Miss right now is about a nine and a half point favorite. This game's set to kick off at 7 o'clock Central Time. I like I've said in the season preview episode, I'm really big on Ole Miss. I think their offense is gonna be an absolute force to be reckoned with. Their defense, not gonna be great, might be good. We'll see. But they're getting a lot of help from transfers, which they needed desperately because last year it was just so, so bad. So I think Ole Miss is going to put up a ton of points. Louisville is a team that I am super low on this year. It's just a weird situation there. Uh, Scott Satterfield was rumored to be talking with South Carolina about taking their job this offseason. He ended up writing an apology note to the fans for expressing interest in that job, I guess. Seems like some really weird off the field chemistry with him. They've got a ton of players and coaches that have left transferred away in the off season. Two players opted out in the middle of last season. Never a good sign. Many of them left for the draft or just straight up transferred to a different program. Four coaches left for other roles. I think Louisville will be lucky if they get to a bowl game this year. So with all that being said, I think Ole Miss should win this game pretty easily. It'll be interesting to see how Ole Miss' Ole Miss's defense holds up against a very you know average at best Louisville offense. This should be a good game for them to get their feet wet and play together as a unit in a game for the first time. So uh, I was looking at the Ole Miss spread possibly, the team total. I'm interested to see what that ends up being because with their defense being so unknown and god-awful last year. I don't know if I want to touch the spread in case Louisville gets some garbage time points, but Ole Miss team total could be a good play. So if I end up thinking that's a a move, I'll I'll tweet it out or something later this week. But that's what I'm looking at for now. Now we're going to move on to our first ever segment of segments. Uh, Some of these will probably come and go as the season goes along. I'll have to figure out what I like, what y'all like. If you uh, have any suggestions, especially on this part, I would definitely appreciate it. Coming up with names too. I'm open to uh, open to ideas. I was trying to think of some and some worked and some I was just pretty clueless on. So we'll see how all these go. If y'all like anything or don't like anything or have ideas, please feel free to reach out. So starting off with the hot seat rankings of the week presented by Lee Corso. I'm just going to be probably talking about the you know top couple or handful of coaches that I think are from most likely to least likely to get fired. But everybody that makes this list isn't in a great situation with their career. Uh, I was planning on having Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. Uh, Leading the list to start off this week, but events yesterday in the season opener between Nebraska and Illinois obviously changed that. So we'll start off with Scott Frost. Uh, some people, including partially myself, were kind of a, kind of surprised to see him allowed to get back on the plane to Lincoln yesterday. I thought they might tell him to take the Greyhound home and pack up his shit, but yeah, really bad look for him. The team was just so just poor in every aspect of the game. They were totally undisciplined. Penalties lost them that football game on top of just stupid turnovers, missed field goals, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, Scott Frost at this point, it's going to be shocking if they get past this season. They're in Lincoln. I think their win total over-under was like six or six and a half, and that was with expectation of winning this first game, not dropping it. So, Now, just to get bowl eligible is going to be probably pretty difficult for the Cornhuskers. And if they don't get to bowl a bowl game this year, you can put your mortgage on Scott Frost being gone. So uh, at this point, don't know if he'll even make it through the season. We'll just have to see how Nebraska fares going forward. But pretty much worst case scenario for the Frost administration there in Nebraska. At number two on the list, we get to Justin Fuente. I didn't realize this when I was talking about him in the last episode, but much like Clay Hilton, uh, Virginia Tech also had a press conference at the end of last year announcing that Justin Fuente Fuente was not being fired, which is just, you know, one of the worst signs you can see. And there's nothing more sure that a coach will probably get fired soon if they have in a press conference at the end of the season announcing that he wasn't fired. So... They have a super hard start to the season with UNC that we already talked about on Friday night. And then in the next four weeks after this game, they have Miami and Notre Dame, both games. They will probably lose handily. So it could be a midseason firing there in Virginia Tech as well. Hokies aren't getting helped out by their schedule at all, but it's probably time for a new new administration there in Blacksburg. Uh, Next, we have Matt Wells from Texas Tech. We talked about him briefly in the last episode. I think he's safe for now. Uh, It's only been a couple seasons there, but they have had a lot of transfers and just seems like bad chemistry and off-the-field vibes for Texas Tech. So I don't know if they're going to make it very far. Their win total was like four and a half games, so making it to a bowl game would be a big accomplishment. If that doesn't happen, I don't know if they'll sign up for another season, but we'll have to see how Texas Tech fares against their out-of-conference schedule. If they can bag all those games and pull off a couple... Upsets in the Big 12, then they might get a fourth year. We'll have to see. Uh, So those are the top three. This will obviously change a lot. People will come on and off as the season goes along, but we'll keep track of it every week. The guys that I'm looking at, a little bit bigger names that are safe for now, but I'm going to be watching very closely uh, this season Jim Harbaugh, Clay Helton, and Ed Orgeron, which I think I touched on briefly in the last episode as well. But uh, you know, if they drop this first game against UCLA, they're, uh, just the schedule in the SEC West and their crossover game being Florida is pretty brutal. So if things go south in Baton Rouge, uh, I don't think I was going to get fired this year, even if they have a 7-5 and five season, but he will be firmly on the hot seat afterwards if they don't get a good at least 8 or 9 wins in this year because last year was just abysmal. Uh, interestingly, outside of Edo, which is more me projecting and speculative, but there's probably not going to be any SEC coaches fired at all this year, which is really unusual in the most cutthroat league, but all the guys are basically new hires. There were four of them in the SEC this season or on year two or firmly established in their program. And there's zero shot of them going anywhere as far as getting fired goes. So, It'll probably be the case that for the first time in a while, no SEC coaches were fired. Of course, everyone thought that might happen last year with COVID and financial concerns. And nope, collectively, four teams are paying tens of millions of dollars on buyouts. So the SEC uh, remains the most cutthroat, but probably not this year with the coaches. What I'm watching, next segment, uh, this is just going to be one game that I'm most looking forward to watching in each each time slot of the day. Obviously, a lot of the Saturday games we talked about will overlap with each other, so you'll be flipping channels back and forth, watching it on a second TV or laptop or whatever. But these are my three games, morning, afternoon, and night, that I'm going to do every week that I think are the best in their time slots. Uh, In the morning this Saturday, I'm looking forward to watching Penn State at Wisconsin. That starts at 11 Central in the afternoon. Obviously, for me, the Bama game, but with the Texas-Louisiana matchup, if the Bama game gets out of hand or anything, then they start an hour later. So you could flip over to that. Those games start at 2.30 for Bama and 3.30 for Texas. Um, In the evening... Obviously, Georgia Clemson, same situation with LSU and UCLA being right after them. But Georgia Clemson is clearly the gym of this week and possibly the whole regular season. So that's going to be an absolute classic playoff quality matchup if things go as planned. Fortunately, I actually will not be watching this game that I am so hyped up for and everyone's been talking about for months and months and months. Uh, The fish from Vermont are in my hometown here, so I'll be seeing them on Saturday night Probably going to record that Georgia-Clemson game, Rewatch the second half if it's a good one when I get home. The game of the week, obviously Georgia-Clemson. Don't need to hit on that again. Uh, The non-ranked game of the week, I like West Virginia hosting Maryland. Uh, Both of these teams are pretty interesting. I'm pretty high on Maryland this year. They're not going to be great by any means, but I think they could take a step forward. Uh, I'm a little biased on this one because they're just stocked full of former Alabama assistant coaches and obviously two his little brothers, their quarterback. So I think that Mike Loxley's team and Dan Enos being the offensive coordinator, they're going to try to recreate a lot of those great offenses we saw in Tuscaloosa. So I trust them. They're a good coaching staff, and Loxley has been recruiting really well there. So I think with the more talent and they get some help back on defense. So they should be improved from last year with a little more experience. Uh, West Virginia, they're a solid team on offense Their quarterbacks. All right. I don't think it's anything special to write home about, but they did lose a lot on defense from last year. So I'm expecting Maryland to be able to put a good, good amount of points on the board. Maryland's actually a three point dog, but I think I like them in this game. So... Uh, That'll be a pretty good one. It's at 2.30 Central, so kind of smack dab there in the middle of the afternoon slate. But I think it'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on, keep on the second TV, whatever. It might have a good ending. Moving along to our Pac-12 after dark game of the week. (laughs) Who doesn't love a good late night Pac-12 West Coast barn burner? Uh, It's actually a good one this week. Nevada is going to Berkeley to play Cal. I really like both of these teams this year individually, so this is kind of a hard game to evaluate. Uh, Cal, I just like everything I'm hearing from them. Their head coach, Justin Wilcox, seems to have done a really good job building that team up. They get 10 super seniors back, and just a lot around the board is, are returning for the Bears. They should have a good defense. This is their quarterback, Chase Garber's fourth year as their starting quarterback, and they've got good depth across the line and all the skill positions, so I think Cal is going to be a a sneaky good team this year. I think they're one of these teams that could start the season unranked and end up in the top 25. And While I don't think they're on... Oregon or Washington's level there in the Pac-12 North. I think they'll be a really pesky underdog in some of these other Pac-12 teams that we've talked about sides. So they're hosting Nevada. They had a 7-2 2020 season, and they're returning 19 on that roster. Their offense is going to ball out. Sounds like a classic, just high-octane West Coast offense. Their defense was so-so last year, but every single starter is – a senior on that Wolfpack defense, so they should be much improved with the experience. Just tons of it, tons of depth on defense, so i probably like Cal in this game, but it it should be a really good one. Cal's only, only a three and a half point favorite, so I could see it going either way, but it's kind of a game. Those two brands of the schools aren't terribly exciting, but this doesn't kick off until 9 30 central time, so I'll be watching the end of this one after my concert, and that should be a really entertaining game. Both the ta- both teams have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball for everybody to end their first real college football Saturday of the fall with. Next, we're going to move on to the best bet segment. So I'm going to try to find the play that I like the best every uh, every weekend, and I'm not going to turn this into an entire gambling podcast because I know half the people don't care, but it's fun to discuss and kind of look at what Vegas thinks about these spreads and some of the lines. So last week, I might not have called it this, but the one bet I did give out was Illinois plus seven, which we got easily. So I'm going to give, throw myself a bone and go ahead and count that. I'll keep track of my record as the season goes on for my one play a week. This week, like I said, I'm looking at the Ole Miss team total. It hasn't released yet. I'll uh, post on Twitter, whatever that ends up being, because I think that could definitely be a good play. Um, But I like a Wisconsin-Ole Miss Moneyline Parlay. If you combine those two teams to win, it rounds out to be minus 114, so basically even odds. Um, I think that's going to be my best bet of the week. If not, then I'll come back and change it on Twitter or whatever. But I like the Wisconsin-Ole Miss Moneyline Parlay. I'm big on both those two teams in general this season, not very big on their opponents. So I think those teams should be able to get the wins and get us that minus 114 pretty easily. Lastly, I'm going to have a segment called Game Day Grub. It's just whatever I'm planning on cooking this weekend or done in the past. So I'm going to share some recipes with you all that you can cook on the grill. Most of this stuff will probably be grilled items, although you can cook most of it in the oven as well, and it'll still be pretty dang good. So I'm using this week, I'm planning on grilling the uh, roasted buffalo wings recipe from the Traeger app and website. I'll post this on my Twitter and Instagram too. But these roasted buffalo wings are probably the best thing I've ever cooked on my grill. They're super easy and just time after time, they come out awesome. Uh, I really prefer these over wings. You get out at a restaurant because when you buy them from the store, they're so much bigger and meatier. And you can really adjust the heat, toss it as much in as much dry rub or sauce as you please, and it's just way cheaper in general. So, I'll take my wings over any of the store or restaurant bought ones that I've had around here. But it's uh, it's one of the easiest and best things that I make on the grill. So, what I do is season the wings before with just any type of general poultry seasoning, lots of different barbecue. Uh, brands have their own like chicken rub. So anything like that will be good. Uh, you, I throw them on the grill for half an hour at 375 till the wings are actually cooked. Then I take them off the grill, toss them in a buffalo sauce, which there's a homemade recipe in the wing recipe that I'm going to throw out. Super easy. All it uses is Frank's, red hot, butter, and spicy mustard. So I like it a lot. It's got a good little kick to it. You toss the wings in that buffalo sauce. You can also do like Sweet Baby Ray's. I like their pre-made buffalo sauce a lot. So whichever you prefer. And then after they're tossed, you put them back on the grill for about 10 to 15 more minutes just for the sauce to set. And it makes them super crispy on the outside. So this wing recipe is delicious. I'm probably going to be cooking eight or 10 pounds this weekend because I've got a whole bunch of people coming over for the Bama game. So I'll post some pictures of that too once I get them off the grill, but super easy, delicious. Everybody I've made them for in the past loves them. So that's my game day grub for this week, the Traeger roasted buffalo wings. And just because I'm doing it on a grill doesn't mean you can't do these in the oven as well. I've made some pretty darn good wings in the oven in the past. So Don't feel like you have to have a grill to pull this off. The Traeger actually works a lot like an oven. So anything I'm doing on the grill, you can basically do either on the cast iron on the stove or in the oven. So these wings would work perfectly well at 375 in the oven too. Um, But yeah, that's the game day grub and that rounds out the segments for this week. Uh, So yeah, I guess that's it for the week one preview. Congrats everybody. We made it. I'm really looking forward to everything and, talking to everybody on Twitter and whatnot as the games are happening next Saturday. Bummed I can't see maybe the best game of the whole season, but got to go watch my fish above everything else. So I'll uh, I'll do my due diligence and good recap of the Georgia-Clemson game next week after rewatching everything later. This is probably how the pod's going to be going forward, at least for the time being. I'll put out an episode every week that combines the previous week of games recap with the upcoming week of games preview, probably try to have it out on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, just depending on my schedule. So, um, yeah, we'll see if it starts to get a little bit too long. We might chop it up and do the recap earlier in the week and the preview later, but I'll just have to play that by ear and see what's working best with my time. Um, I hope everybody enjoys the games. Y'all have a good long Labor Day weekend. We've got five straight days of college football coming up, so get ready. It's going to be awesome. Everybody take care. Thanks, y'all.